0: This week, we take on the style divide of value versus growth. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of April 18th, 2022, and it's been over a year since we discussed growth and value equity styles on the podcast. If you tuned in last week, you met our team's new portfolio strategist, Julia Herman, and she's back with us to help get a new take on the topic.
1: Oh, hi, hello, Lauren. Hello. Now,
0: value and growth, two key so-called investment styles and there are some very important near-term investment decisions to be made there with respect to value versus growth in a portfolio. But the value growth dynamic is so widely discussed in the investment world, it's worth taking the time to start out and be really clear in defining what those mean. So Julia, that's where I'll I'll kick the can to you first. Uh, What do most people think of when we're talking about value or growth equity?
1: So the clearest definition is that value companies trade at a discount to their peers. They're just cheaper, while growth companies are believed to achieve better growth in the market or their industry. Value tends to cover most of the sectors out there, while growth is more focused on tech, communications, which at this point mostly encompasses internet companies, and consumer discretionary.
0: That's really helpful, but... I can't help but notice that these two things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like you can have a company that's cheap relative to its peers in the near term, making it a value company by that definition, while also maybe you would believe that that company could achieve better growth in the long term, right? So surely there are other qualities that can be shared between
1: these two style boxes. Yeah, there is a lot of nuance under the surface of those style boxes. And a lot of the time, investors have their own definitions of and approaches to investing in one style versus the other.
0: And for the purposes of our asset allocation team,
1: preferring one style or another in a given time period. Exactly. And for us, there's one very important aspect of the value versus growth debate that's present right now, and that is quality.
0: There it is. Quality is the key complicating factor here, I'd say, because we on our team believe that it transcends this value versus growth dichotomy. So before we get into why we think that, let's just be clear about what we mean by quality. Quality companies are companies that are profitable and have an established track record of earnings growth coming from expanding their top line. Usually, that means they have best-in-class management and a stellar reputation to accompany those bottom-line results.
1: Exactly. And when it comes to style, I'd say that high quality just enhances how a company is seen. A quality value company would probably echo Warren Buffett's investment style, for instance, while growth companies that are profitable and have high-quality earnings would be seen as blue-chip growth stocks.
0: Very good point. And if we were to take that on the opposite side, so looking at low quality companies, value stocks could be seen as cheap for a reason, or growth stocks might be unprofitable, not necessarily lower quality. It would would more commonly point to rapid expansion requiring the reinvestment of cash flows back into the growth of the business, or potentially in some cases, unproven business models, at least unproven so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're great for innovation, but that lack of positive earnings can result in higher volatility.
0: Very, very, very good point. And so while many investment products are designed as value equity, for example, or growth equity, there are other ways to divide equities or divide sectors and styles of investing in a way that might be interesting. So for us, quality is one of them right now, not least because of the risks we see in the economy as a whole. But let's move the conversation into one of then historical performance. And the reason I bring this up is because throughout the last economic cycle, so after the global financial crisis, before the pandemic, growth stocks were the place to be because we had low interest rates and a very long economic cycle without too many nasty downturns that made valuations for equities and in general and growth stocks in particular look very attractive. So now that we're in a different economic cycle and interest rates are on the rise and economic growth has been more volatile so too has investor
1: style preference. Here too, I think it's helpful for us to think beyond just that value versus growth debate and at the type of return investors were actually receiving. So looking at the S&P 500 growth and value indexes from 2000 to the start of COVID in March 2020, growth did, as you mentioned, outperform from a pure price appreciation perspective to the tune of about 24 percentage points. So it's nothing to knock there. But value stocks tend to be the dividend yielders out there. And when you look at total return, which accounts for the reinvestment of those dividends back into the indices, it was actually value that outperformed, returning 200.8% over that 20-year period versus 182% for growth. That said, if you're just looking at the post-financial crisis era starting in about 2009, it's been growth blowing value out of the water, delivering 694% total return versus 380% for value.
0: Wow. Wow. That is really something. And from a relative performance perspective at least at the moment, value is near the bottom of its historical range. And so investors are asking whether it's time for value to step into the sun again, especially because of some of the factors I was mentioning before, different economic cycle, rising interest rates could pressure equity valuations across the board. Everyone's loved performance of the growth style, but the hesitation so many investors have right now is how expensive it is relative to value and in general, and particularly how expensive the big tech leaders within the space are right now. All right, that takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. So we're going to address that question head on. Is the post-pandemic era values time to shine the way that the financial crisis or post-financial crisis era was growth's time to shine? Interest rates are on the rise, growth is strong.
1: What do you think? So our team is seeing many late cycle dynamics starting to develop. As you mentioned, Lauren, interest rates are rising, inflation is high, and the labor market's incredibly tight. Growth expectations are still robust in absolute terms, but are slowing at the margin. So earlier in the recovery cycle, more of last year, the lower quality stocks were tending to benefit. But later in the cycle where we are now, we really emphasize earnings quality, like we just discussed, and we are overweight value and building a more defensive tilt to it. I like bringing the value versus growth debate and the quality earnings elements we've been
0: discussing together. You just mentioned defensive tilt. Defensive exposure tends to focus on sectors within value such as real estate, utilities, staples, and healthcare, or there's a common acronym used there: rush sectors. Defensive companies are historically able to maintain their earnings quality and dividend payments through economic downturns. But there's another option for investors when the cycle starts
1: to turn, which is actually to go back into growth. Right. I mean, historically, when economic growth is slowing, defensives are not the only answer. Proponents of rotating into growth stocks during an economic downturn would argue that when growth is scarce, you actually want to invest in companies that are able to maintain growth somewhat independently of the economic cycle. Companies where their growth is driven by taking market share, for instance, or by non-cyclical or even counter-cyclical demand for or adoption of a product.
0: And see, this is one of the things that's so interesting about this debate because there are some changes going on because of the changes in the U.S. economy over years and years around what defensive actually means, right? And in this case, what you're saying, Julia, trying to look for growth here and there when economic growth is is slowing could be perceived as a new type of defensive posture. and, and that logic isn't necessarily wrong. You know, certainly growth outperformed during the global financial crisis period and during the, the worst of the COVID days. What those crises have in common though is that inflation was low. And frankly, it is not clear to me that growth will be equally resilient in today's period of much higher inflation.
1: Yeah, that's a really insightful point there. And it's hard to do a historical look back there because inflation has been low for the main period of outperformance for growth. And that makes me think about how the growth value trade-off isn't even necessarily exclusive just to the equity space. There is a multi-asset approach that suits this more convoluted environment of today. So the flip side of that defensive exposure you mentioned, that would be cyclicals to their name, those pro-cyclical stocks, including energy and materials, which are doing really well today. Do you have any high-level thoughts there, Lauren? Sure. Well, I think we
0: should first just acknowledge that adding high inflation to the economic picture, even as growth slows, is complicated for positioning. Investors have to look into a new type of playbook relative to what we've been using over the past 10, 15 years of the last economic cycle. So, for one thing, building defensive exposure inequity as well as commodity exposure, which would traditionally be more pro-cyclical, but today is more a reflection of geopolitical shocks, that would keep us firmly within the traditional value camp with respect to the types of sector exposure an investor would have. Now, commodity exposure can also be accessed on the real asset side of things, of course, Then when we think broader in the portfolio, when it comes to fixed income, the most defensive positioning you can get is in treasuries, but treasuries are underperforming right now because they're high duration, their prices are sensitive to rising interest rates, which of course we're seeing. And so we're not looking at adding duration in that sense until this year's hiking cycle is more completely priced in.
1: All right. So just to keep everything straight, even though we have one cohesive view on the economic outlook, the equity and fixed income markets are at slightly different points in their own cycles. We have equities, which are more focused on economic growth right now, while the bond market is looking more at interest rate expectations. So we have to position differently across them accordingly.
0: Beautifully said. And reflecting all of these factors how to keep a certain level of quality in the portfolio, how and when to get more defensive or to move to growth, regardless of asset class, now's a great time for active management to balance these concerns. Coming up next, it's earnings season. Companies are reporting their first quarter results, and our team is not alone in watching this quarter extra closely. After inflation figures for March came in higher than expected, this earnings season and the forward guidance that companies give will help investors to see where inflation's biting and and how companies are coping, whether that's by passing higher costs on to customers, letting margins compress a bit, or trying to invest in their labor force and building resilient supply chains. It'll help us get a feel for the business environment and growth for the rest of the year. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management LLC and distributed by NY Life Distributors LLC. 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. A wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.